Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Gil Schmidt and narrated by Michael Foster. Whenever. Through the lifting fog, the lithe man jogged in a prancing step. Long, lanky muscles moved smoothly, and his wavy black hair streamed slightly behind him. His quick breaths plumed and faded as his elbows and knees cut through the chill air. The distortion, its ovoid shape flattened at the bottom by the dried grass and park cement, made its way across the expanse. Its wavy interior revealed little, a bench collapsing into nothingness, a flower blooming into death and rot, cement crumbling into dust. The wave engulfed the jogger and proceeded over the river, boiling water in its wake. Behind it remained a gasping, white-haired man on his hands and scraped knees, quivering arms covered with spots and wrinkles, and feeble lungs fighting the cold air for life. Dr. Larson Colquist sat down for the third time in ten minutes. Each time he ran the diagnostic, it came up with a different result, and he was beginning to breathe heavily. The time wave formations were not diagramming as he had anticipated, and the problem seemed to be a lack of juice. Number-crunching power, pure and simple. For just a second, he thought about hacking into MIT's math center, if only for a few minutes. Enough to get a repeat result, something he could work with instead of this variety. He punched in the sequence again, hit enter, and thought about hacking for a second. Another wave crossed the Potomac and engulfed a series of suburban homes. Metals turned liquid, causing flash fires and explosions when gas lines exploded violently. An office building flared into a pyre, plastics in its interior releasing toxic compounds so fast the occupants were literally impregnated with cyanide. The media picked up on the events by the time the fifth wave hit the countryside. However, they were reported as separate incidents at first. This didn't stop the more enterprising elements from calling in scientists of any type to discuss the happenings with all due seriousness, based on few facts and ponderous speculation. One solid fact emerged from the early chatter. They were time bubbles. And in that artless fashion the media makes such a fetish of, they were quickly dubbed Tubbles. Hello, Dr. Larson Colquist, please. Speaking. I am Marcus Dandridge, White House Chief of Staff. Please hold for the president. Do I have a choice? I beg your pardon? Nothing. Put him on. Larson held the phone gently, breathing with a slightly opened mouth. A series of clicks were followed by a slight thump, and then the voice of President Jeremy Forbes boomed through. Larson, how are you? Fine, Jeremy. The pause was long. A softer voice came back. Dr. Colquist, a marine helicopter is landing across from your building. We wish for you to accompany the MP escort to the chopper and come here to the White House. Larson sighed. The whoop-whoop of heavy blades approached quickly and changed to a brief whine. He could almost hear the boots thudding across the pavement to his apartment. Do I have a choice? A brief pause. No. But I am asking for your help, doctor. The country need- Don't. Just don't. 
It didn't work last time, and I don't want to hear it again. I'll go. Larson rubbed his eyes and glanced across at his computer screen. This comes at an awkward time for me, Mr. President. At the risk of offending you again, Larson, you're not the only one. See you in an hour. Singapore Airlines Flight 814 from New York to Hawaii was cruising at an altitude of 32,500 feet when a tubble engulfed it. 1.3 seconds later, the plane began a deadfall towards Kentucky, its interior ravaged and bloodied, filled with corpses and half-eaten limbs. Larson endured a terrifying low-level ride across parts of Maryland and Virginia and was delivered to the White House in a quivering piece. With no time to recover his poise, he was ushered, not to the Oval Office as he expected, but downstairs to the Situation Room. As he walked in, he saw a few familiar faces. Dandridge, Joint Chief Harmon Lakeland, the four-star Army Whiz, Secretary of State Caitlin Harris, Defense Secretary Neil Rose, and several faces he had never seen before. They all looked tight, drawn as if the flesh were melting off their bones. At the head of the large blocky table was President Forbes, his graying hair neatly brushed back and up in what should have been a silly pompadour, but was actually a tonsorial masterstroke. His eyes were red, his face somewhat pale in the harsh light of the sit-room, and his hands, those very expressive hands, were almost preternaturally still on the table. Welcome, Larson, said the president. Please take a seat. Larson looked at both proffered chairs and chose the right one, the one furthest from the president. Do I call you Jeremy, then? He sat down. A couple of murmurs broke the silence. Now listen here, you, began Lakeland, before a small gesture from the president stopped him. President Forbes, or Mr. President, I earned the title. Larson leaned forward. I earned mine, and I dare say in a cleaner fashion than you earned yours. Voices clashed and withdrew. Too many eyes were focused on the president. Your past history should be irrelevant at this point, don't you think, Dr. Colquist? Dandridge's voice had a tendency to squeak, so he modulated and enunciated with fastidious precision. Maybe, sir, but in the here and now, I am still a doctor. I think the general would concur on that, in terms of respect. To Larson's surprise, General Lakeland smiled and winked. The president cleared his throat. Be that as it may, Dr. Colquist, we have requested your presence for a serious reason. Have you heard about certain strange events occurring in the past few hours? Larson leaned back. News reports indicate that there has been extensive damage caused by things called tubbles. Several nods. Correct. It is our understanding that they are time waves, pockets of time that move across the landscape and wreak havoc in their passage. The president's gaze was rock steady on Larson. Defined by whom, Mr. President? Larson noted the question was a surprise. Uh, we have it on excellent authority, Dr. Colquist. Top notch. Who? Larson took a deep breath and let it out slowly. The president's gaze faltered. He shook his head. What do you mean? Larson stood up to have the entire group in view. 
The description of the damage does seem to indicate a time-related element is causing it. You state with a high degree of confidence that these tubbles are actually time waves. And yet, I don't see anyone here that can truly define that phenomenon as such. No Hollands, no Pickering, or Gleese, or Petryakov, or even Wheeler. They're all just as close or even closer than I am to the Beltway. So why aren't they here? Or am I that good? Larson knew he was pushing it, knew it in his bones. But he had had 18 months to figure out he didn't rate being here, not with these people. Slowly, all heads turned to the president. His hands twitched, stilled, and twitched again. We are in a serious situation, Dr. Colquist. Will you accept my assurance that these so-called tubbles are indeed time-related? Larson knew he had no choice. Granted. It was as if the room deflated, only to stiffen at the sound of the familiar voice. We want you to analyze these tubbles and figure out how to stop or destroy them. That was direct. He ran a hand through his thinning brown hair. That's a tall order, Mr. President. Is it really that bad? The sudden faces of fear made him snap too. I've only heard of six of these tubbles. How many have been reported? Only the president's eyes moved to his chief of staff. Dandridge replied, 37, as of 11 minutes ago. Larson gasped, his mind whirred and focused on the morbid. How many dead? The president's sad shrug knifed the fear even deeper. People fled, but from what and to where were far from being determined. It was simply the primal urge to flee danger, to do whatever was required to find a safe haven. The roads suffered grave damage, and vehicles, filled as they were with fuels and metals and plastics, were quickly recognized as major sources of danger. So the masses fled on foot, or on bikes, if their need and nerve were great. Two young women sobbed with fear when the tubble tore across the asphalt, raising clouds of superheated smoke and washed over them. Seconds later, they were stunned to discover they could see each other, the sky, the tubble moving away, and both reached for their thudding hearts at the same time, and felt nothing, collapsing limply at each other's feet as they exploded in a profusion of blood, starkly red. Larson was moved into his own cubbyhole across from the sit-room, one that had all his meager equipment set up exactly as it had been back in his apartment. Once he recovered from the shock, he started issuing requests, orders really, and discovered they were being obeyed without question. He detailed video cameras with chronometric and gravimetric instruments attached, scattered all over the affected region. He thought the task was too big, but the Defense Department mobilized all of its personnel, and within two hours, over 6,000 camera packages were in place, recording tubbles as they appeared. At one point, a large flat screen was connected to his computer, and a large red button was hooked into it. The Marine orderly waited for Larson to notice him, and said crisply, Sir, direct video line to the President. Press the red button, sir. Any questions? Larson waved him away. Early data indicated images within the tubbles, wavery as if underwater, but becoming more distinct. 
However, reports flooded in, and he had no time to really triage. He simply let it all come in and tried to make some sense of it all. One item became important. Vectors. Lakeland, get me a graphic of the Tubbles vectors, starting points, trajectory, and destination if known, and flash them on my screen. As many as you have, and keep adding them as they come in, okay? General Lakeland saluted smartly. Sure, Chief. Larson's wan smile was lost in the frenzy. Within minutes, Larson's screen displayed a map of the Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland region. Dots appeared, with the legend, Origins. Some were solid, denoting known locations. Others were basically empty circles, denoting guesses. Lines were drawn, arrows indicating direction and distance. From several to dozens was but a matter of seconds, and Larson felt overwhelmed as the lines crisped and crossed. He focused, blinked, and with rising fear, he keyed in a simple command. When the vectors were cast back past the points of their appearances, they all showed a common origin. Langley, Virginia. Larson knew it well. He slapped the red button. The screen flickered once, and the profile of President Forbes appeared. One moment, Doctor, he said and turned to the unseen person again. The Tubbles are coming from Langley. President Forbes turned to face the screen. How do you know? I have proof. It's Langley, and we both know what's at Langley. The president waved whomever away, back to the screen. Has anyone seen your proof? Whatever Larson was thinking was lost in the wake of the question and its tone. Not yet, but somebody will soon. He swallowed hard. Why? President Forbes lowered his voice. That's a black facility, Dr. Colquist. Deep black. As you say, we both know that. Larson recovered his thoughts. None of the chrono specialists are here because they are all there. They are causing these tubbles. We can make them stop. How? Before he could answer, a young Marine, flowing brown hair cut short, snapped a salute for Larson. He faced her. Instrument package report, sir. First batch. You're also hooked into Cray-3 and Cray-4 Pentagon, sir. Anything else, sir? It was beginning to wear on him. No, ma'am. I'm fine. Thank you. The salute knifed the air in a decidedly dangerous manner. One moment, said Larson to the screen. He flicked through the pages, the charts and flow patterns coming together into a pattern. Dr. Colquist. He waved with a grunted response. The tubble patterns were quite familiar. Using chronosychronous theta forms in parallel sequence, which led to polychronosal mergings. Larson gasped. He whirled on the president. This is my research. Not a muscle moved on the president's face. I said, this is my research. Larson hunched over the screen. I know. The man's eyes were beetle black in depth. You know, you, you know? There was the sense of a fortress at the ready. I ordered it. It was all he could do to stifle the scream. Larson bit his lip hard. You cut my funding, cut it for no reason, then his fists clenched until his nails bit deep into flesh. 
Then you take my work and give it to somebody else. Chest pains flared, then went past Larson's notice as he fed on the rage. Not a word from the screen. Who? He took a deep breath. Who? A face appeared at the cubbyhole doorway, and Larson kicked the door shut. He glared at the screen, at the image of the man he wanted to... Wheeler. Thunderstruck. Wheeler? Wheeler! It would take him ten years to make any progress with my theories. Twelve. The syllable struck home like a javelin. Larson buckled into the chair. Twelve. He looked at the man who said that and saw a withering, a shrinking that was awful to behold. Twelve years. No chronospecialists. He knew. He knew, and now, in a frantic rush, Larson did too. It's them, isn't it? The missing ones. They're all in Langley, and they're causing the tubbles. And we can't touch them because they aren't really there anymore. They're in the future, or a different past. Deep breath. They're testing out my theories, the ones Wheeler muddled his way through for 12 years, and now we're being shot at by a weapon. A freaking weapon. The president hunched his shoulders as if the shouts were blows to be borne mutely. It isn't a weapon yet. Oh, of course it isn't. Sarcasm dripped with insufficient weight. What else would you call something that has destroyed parts of a dozen cities and killed almost half a million people? Larson had no strength to shout. President Forbes had no strength. You knew everything. You know everything about this, right? Whatever power holds a man together within his skin is unseen but crucial. There remained but a husk. Yes. There were dozens of questions he could ask, maybe hundreds, but in the maelstrom, one lowly beacon stood out. How'd you do it? Even misplaced pride has its value. President Forbes' voice gained resonance as he explained. We cut your funding because you wouldn't play ball with the Pentagon. Then the others wouldn't play ball because we were using your theories. So we threatened to cut their funding as well. That made them play ball. The estimate was eight years, but it took 12, right in the middle of my third term. The first thing I did when I won was to fund them to the hilt. The voice ran down, as if time had expired. A fish trying to speak, Larson couldn't straighten out his thoughts. He glanced at his computer display, where 16 more tubbles had appeared, slicing through Richmond, Baltimore, and Annapolis, and grimly, just past the Washington Monument. Data from the instruments confirmed the earlier tendency. Larson glanced back to the vid screen and saw a hunchback a man deeply immersed in his own despair. Before he could think about it, he heard himself say, I think there's a way to stop them. His hand flashed out to slap the red button, breaking the communication before he saw the eyes of abject horror fill with hope. He picked up the vid screen and slammed it to the floor, blasting more anger with it. A Marine guard rushed in and Larson yelled at him, Get me another one, now! The Marine sprinted away, forgetting to salute. Flicking through camera package inputs, 
Larson found the DC instruments and fixed on one down from the Potomac. It caught a tubble moving away from him, but clear enough to read. It was the largest recorded so far. Larson nodded in grim satisfaction. He flicked through the images again until he located the White House. Glancing quickly around him, he cleaned up the image and was expecting a long wait when it happened. A huge tubble, crystal clear but still distorting things a bit, was bearing down on them. They're so close, but the last one ends it all. Rushing into the hallway, Larson was stopped by the guard. The president called me over. The Marine remained immobile. Larson could hear the seconds ticking away. Now! It surprised him how calm it sounded. The Marine moved aside. Racing through the halls and up the stairs, Larson ticked the seconds off in his mind. He ran like no one would ever run again, racing time. Bursting through the nearest door, he saw into the tubble. A large room, peopled indistinctly, with some machinery and color-coded modules. Thousands of images flickered incessantly, signals from time. The tubble sped at him across the lawn. Taking a deep breath, Dr. Larson Colquist ran at the tubble and leaped headlong into whenever. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed that performance by Michael Foster. We are always striving to bring you the best stories and storytelling here at the Untold Tales podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends and family and anybody who might be a sci-fi buff. We know they'll love it. And if you'd like to support the show for about one cup of coffee a month, you can go to the link on the bottom of the show notes in every episode and find a support this podcast link. We value bringing original high quality stories to you every month, and we appreciate your support to keep this podcast ad free. Thank you so much and have a great day.